for authors, artists, writers, copywriters. Bevy's Cottage Formatting and Design is here to help you polish and beautify your book or script and develop a clean professional product ready for print on demand or ebook. Services include book interior formatting, cover wrap design and formatting, copy editing, proofreading, and graphic design. From event posters, banners, book event signage, ebook formatting, even illustration, to back cover blurbs, maps, and chapter header art. I can help you turn your art into a quality package primed for publication, print, and even broadcast. The full list of services and pricing are available on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Feffy's Cottage FD. F-E-F-F-I-E-S Cottage FD. Don't let your good works get dragged down by simple grammatical or visual issues. Come and check out my page today. This is A Better Utopia, an audiobook podcast written and produced by Counterculture Rebellion, read by the author. Story edited by Feffy's Cottage Formatting and Design. Dedication. Chapter 12 is dedicated to the Degenerative State of Mind podcast. Thank you guys so much for having me on your show. You were all very gracious hosts, and I really had a good time talking to you guys. Something you may not know was I was in a bit of a writing block. Going on your show and experiencing the energy you brought to the podcast and the excitement about my story helped knock down that writing wall. Thank you guys so much. The scent of crisp, fresh air hit my nostrils. The rain had finally stopped. It perfumed the air with a lush cleanness, if that had a smell. At the edge of my awareness, I revealed that I had had the experience, the dream, yet again. Ever since that night in the stable, I had had that dream every time I sleep. It begins with the same, out-of-body feeling. I hover around like a ghost, and no one seems to notice me. Then there are the same 13 red, cloaked figures in the same dark room. Or is it a cave? For some reason, it's hard to tell. They're always singing the same strange chant. Try as I might, I can't make out the words. It's muffled. Like I'm wearing earplugs or something. It could be Latin, but I'm unsure. They pull out hearts of fire from their cloaks and present their offerings to someone on a weird altar made of glass. They also sometimes appear to have cut themselves and dribbled blood on these sacrifices. Then some of them either pass out or die, while the other ones, who don't seem to care, trample upon the fallen ones. As they do this, a man unlike any of the others in some way appears from nowhere, clothed in embellished, richly appointed robes of velvety purple. The thing that stands out the most about him is the strange gold necklace he wears. I feel like I've seen it somewhere before. He stares at me with hideous eyes and rants about a book. The whole thing is unnerving, 
especially the way he cries in the end. Then a large hand seizes me, and when I look in the direction of where the hand comes from, it's just a bright light, and a loud masculine voice bellows. The path you walk will reveal its purpose. Everything you have gone through is not for nothing. And at that I wake up, usually in the middle of the night, just like tonight. The third and final thing, well, Rodriguez snores, or at least he has been the last few days. With Jacob sick with infection and Finnegan and myself on light duty, it unfortunately places the majority of the work on the others. I think the poor guys are exhausted. I've tried to do more, but was scolded by Ruby when I popped open my stitches. The only good thing about the last two rainy days is that it's allowed the others to rest more. The downside? Well, Jacob needs a surgeon badly, and with every day his condition gets worse. I quietly throw my boots on and open the canvas tent flap. It's still dark, and although I don't have a watch, I guess it's three-something in the morning. It's been my usual wake-up time when my reoccurring dream started. The ground is still soggy and squishes under my boot. Hopefully by morning it's firmer. The stream tractors have had trouble pushing through all the mud. Luckily, we only got one truck stuck, and we were able to easily pull it out because it was the lightest of the three. I looked over the chuck wagon, which had been my ride the last few days. The old wagon with its cover put up to keep out the rain still sits vacant. The horses that pulled the wagon are still gone. I guess Lincoln and the others who went out to scout Charlottesville are still not back. Rumor has it that there's a utopian presence there, and although they haven't taken over the city, it's pretty dangerous to walk the streets. Can't sleep? A woman's voice said behind me. I almost jumped out of my skin and my hand reaches for a revolver that's not there. Damn, that was stupid of me not to grab it before I left the tent. Luckily, as I turn, my panic subsides. It's Lilith, the adopted sister of the Finleys. Her soft smile forms and her almond eyes sparkle in the moonlight. Sorry, didn't mean to scare you. She pushes some hair out of her face as a breeze begins to blow past. It's okay, wait. You're on watch? I thought you and Ruby and Rebecca were keeping an eye on Jacob. No, Mason and Don are. I'm just getting some fresh air before I wake Rebecca up for her shift to keep an eye on Jacob. How is he? Still has a fever, but at least it's not getting worse. And his leg? Her brown eyes dart to the ground. Ruby's afraid he might lose it before all is said and done. We stood there for a moment. The only noise was the gentle wind whipping her hair about. So, I've told you why I'm up, she said, trying to change the subject. Why are you up? Honestly, I haven't slept well for a few days now. I keep having this strange dream. Almost a nightmare, but weirdly peaceful at the same time, if that makes any sense. A dream, she said with a small smile creeping on her lips. Uh, yeah, weird one. Do you normally have recurring dreams? Now her smile was on full display. No, and for the most part, I barely remember my dreams. I stared at her. She looked like a bottle rocket made from pure joy that was about to go off. Why are you smiling like that? Did you forget? The day after we escaped Boston, what I told you? Her voice crackled with energy. Lilith, I barely remember breakfast. So, to expedite this, why don't you just tell me? I tried not to show my growing frustration in my voice, but if it showed, it had no effect on Lilith. Well, I guess it was my sister who asked. She bobbed her head on her shoulders, but I put her up to it. We wanted to know if you had any strange dreams. Then I told you that God still has a plan for you. Okay, and? I was trying really hard to sound polite. It was hard whenever someone brought up God for some reason. I got frustrated. 
and this frustration then made me more upset because I knew I shouldn't be this way. It was a nasty cycle that I found myself avoiding more and more, so much so that even my own personal prayers had grown robotic and stale. Yeah, I still prayed, but it was more like rehearsing lines than having a conversation, like, Lord bless this food, amen, or Lord keep us safe, amen. Well, it looks as though God has given you a dream, and this is the part of his plan for you. Her tone revealed a slight annoyance, probably because she knew I was dragging my feet to this conclusion. Or, it's just an odd dream that keeps happening because of all the trauma that I keep finding myself in. Why do you run from God? I'm not running from anything, I'm just fine with God and all that. I could feel the heat in my face. I felt bad for getting angry at her. It was like getting angry at your kid's sister because she was asking to play all the time. Yet, she's the one who isn't picking up on my social cues, or she's just refusing to. Okay, okay, I'm not trying to upset you. Maybe I'm coming in a little too invasive. She took a deep breath. Do you at least feel comfortable with telling me your dream? I thought for a moment and searched her eyes. She looked like an eager child on Christmas, and I couldn't say no to her. Every detail that had been rattling around my brain the last several days since the dream began, well, I gave it to her. The look on her face went from excited to confused, and then to a look of hope. I guess that would be what best would describe it. And that's when I wake up, usually around the same time every night. Then it usually takes some time for me to fall back asleep. She paused for a moment, and then a smile emerged on her pretty face. I don't know what it means, but I can say it's definitely from God. I'm coming up behind you, said another female voice as sweet as honey. Then two slender arms wrapped around me and I could feel the warmth of her body. Oh, <laughs> thank you for warning me, I replied. Thank you for not treating me like an enemy combatant. I turned around and faced her. Her blue eyes were staring up at me and her red lips curved up in a sweet smile. Shouldn't you be asleep? I asked. Shouldn't you? Besides, my body has become used to waking her up around this time to watch my brother. Uh, speaking of which, I better get back to him and let you two catch up. Lilith blushed at the sight of our PDA, but gave a soft, approving smile. Take your time, sis. Jacob is sleeping. She walked back to the big tent in which Jacob was in. We stood there for a moment, enjoying our embrace in the quiet night. The cool, cold breeze blew over our closely embraced bodies. All in the world felt right at the moment. It was going to work out just fine. Jacob would get to the surgeon, and he'd be better. We'd have a less exciting trip back home. Rebecca and I could actually explore a real relationship. Life could finally go back to normal. I'm sorry that we haven't gotten much time together. She laid her head on my shoulder. Well, if you were not so selfish taking care of your sick brother, still doing the daily chores we all have to do, and working on a steam tractor for the most of the day, I chuckled. You have nothing to be sorry for. Besides, it makes moments like this more special. I know, she laughed. When things calm down, we should do something. What would you like to do? You know it would be nice, a picnic. I haven't been on a proper picnic since I was a little girl. Mm, it's a date, one picnic. Well, I should get back to looking after my brother, and you should get some sleep. Hopefully tomorrow we can get to Charlottesville and see the surgeon. Okay. Hey, after things calm down, I've been meaning to ask you a question. I just didn't think it was the right time. What is it? It's about Agent Miller and what he said. 
something about you guys leaving your jobs, and I just want to know what that's about. I guess you deserve to know. It's about Lilith, and the sounds of hooves could be heard from down the road. It was still too dark to see, but the noise sent my gut in a wrench. Who is that? Rebecca lifted her head off my chest. I don't know, but I'm going to grab my gun. I'll go check on my brother. I squeezed her tighter. No, come with me. If it's bad, we can grab your brother and sister, but you're safer with me. We set off to the tent, but Rodriguez was up and leaving the tent flap. He tossed the revolver to me and grumbled. You left this without the tent? Yes. Sorry, brother. He looked at me, then at Rebecca. He raised an eyebrow and tried to hide a smirk. Let's go see what's going on. The whole camp had come alive. The night watch had done its job and woken up everyone, who now formed a defensive perimeter. Yet, it was all for nothing as Lincoln and Preston rode up on horseback. Any news, Lincoln, on how Charlottesville's faring? Leslie walked up, sleep still in his eyes and messy hair. His shirt was buttoned up crooked as if he had rushed to get here. It's a bad news, good news situation, Lincoln huffed. The bad news is the city is crawling with utopians and could fall to them like Boston any day now. Getting in and out of the city is almost impossible as the utopians have the roadblocks set up. What about getting a surgeon for my brother? We can't wait any longer, Rebecca cried. Well, that's where the good news comes in. We found a surgeon, and he's willing to do whatever your brother needs under the condition that we get him, his son, and wife out of the city. He says there's a clinic he can do just about anything out of there in Rutgersville, which is not too far from me. Lincoln looked over at me and Rebecca. Leslie huffed. We can't afford to lose any men to this. We already are operating on a thin crew. Please, Mr. Peterson, my brother cannot wait any longer, Rebecca cried. I know, Rebecca, but if I lose any more men, Leslie started, but Rebecca cut him off. Please, I'll go. I can get them out, I said. I'll go too. Rodriguez put his hand on my shoulder and nodded to me. I'm going as well. Finnegan walked up, still trying to buckle his pants. None of you are even healthy enough to take this on. Finnegan, you're still recovering from your concussion. And Yulian, your stitches are still fresh and last time you about popped out of them. Ruby would skin me alive if I let you guys go. Leslie threw up his hands in the air in frustration. Yeah, but we're the best to get in and get out alive, Rodriguez argued. Well, Finnegan doesn't have that much combat experience anyways, Leslie spat back at him. I ain't going anywhere without Finn. I know I can count on him. He goes. Rodriguez walked up closer to Leslie. No one's going anywhere. We can't spare the manpower. Leslie squared up to Rodriguez. His face was red as ever and spit flew from his mouth as he spoke. I stepped in the middle of them, hoping to block on the upcoming fight. What if we rescue this surgeon and he comes with us? We gain a valuable asset and more manpower. That's worth the risk, brother, and I think the surgeon will go from it, Lincoln added in. Fine, but I don't want to hear one word about it from Ruby, and if you get all banged up, don't expect me to let you have it on easy after. You're all back on full duty after this, you got it? Leslie turned around and stored off, muttering some curses under his breath. Lincoln looked down and smiled. Hmm, he must really like you boys to care so much. What do you mean? He seems to be hell-bent on making sure his load gets to its destination. He just wants us for the manpower. Rodriguez looked up at Lincoln with a look of anger, mixed with shock. 
Usually, he just tells people to do whatever you want. I can replace you, and he walks off. Never seen him argue to try to keep people before, regardless of how small of a crew we had. Lincoln scratched at his chin. Well, you boys best get what you need. Preston and myself will water the horses, and then it's back to Charlottesville. We figured if we can get out of the city at twilight, it'll be easy as most of them crazies will be asleep. Sounds as good as plan as any. We'll go get ready. I turned and walked over to my tent. Rodriguez, Rebecca, and Finnegan in tow. Why can't someone else go? You're not even fully healed. What if your stitches break open? Rebecca protested, standing in our door flap. Because besides Rodriguez, Preston, myself, and Finn, and maybe a couple others after that, we're the only ones with this kind of experience we need to pull this off. I said back to her as a matter of fact. You need to heal, please. Rebecca walked in closer and wrapped her arms around me. Rodriguez looked back up from packing and smirked. I'm done here. Uh, I'll go help Finnegan. Come on, Finnegan, let's go pack your things. He slung his pack and walked out of the tent flap, Finnegan in tow. Please, she looked up at me with those blue eyes. I had to look away, or I would have given in to her wish, but I couldn't do that. I couldn't ask someone else to go, to do what I was unwilling to do. It would just feel wrong to me. It will be okay. More than likely, we sneak in and we sneak out. I'll be back eh, in the afternoon with the surgeon, and we'll all meet in Ruckersville. Just like last time, when you said it'd be okay, and then you almost died. Her eyes began to tear up. I sighed, but I didn't, and it will be okay. I placed my fingers gently under her chin and lifted it up. It's me. Then I pressed my lips to hers, and if that moment could have lasted forever, I would have stayed there, but it couldn't, and neither could I. Just be careful, she gave me a sorrowful smile. I will. from our sponsors. I could no longer deny it. It was time, yet my stomach lurched and I had a cold sweat form upon my brow. I had to face that dreaded thing that resided in my bathroom. I trudged into the bathroom and flicked on the light. I knew what was coming next and it made my heart race. My eyes welded up in tears for the sheer horror that was about to take place in this very bathroom. It was unfair. Why? Why did it have to be this way? I turned on the shower, lifted a trembling hand to the old, rusty, cheap, store-bought razor. My mind flashed to the last time, to the time of painful razor burn, and even worse, how I had nicked myself. Oh, what a bloodbath. I lifted the razor and knew, knew my time had come. My heart pounded in my chest, and it was time to do the unthinkable. I was about to start the bloodbath when a knock came from the door. A sweet, angelic voice said, Hey babe, I got you that Manscaped stuff you wanted. It's in the drawer under the sink. I went to the drawer and pulled it open. There, there it was, a beautiful black leather bag, and in it, my salvation. Guys, grooming yourself doesn't have to be a horror story. Ditch the razor or the lackluster trimmers that pull hair and upgrade to Manscaped. It's been a game changer for me. I'm not having to deal with hair being pulled by the trimmer or wielding a blade around spots that, well, make me nervous. The Lawnmower 4.0, 
works like a charm comes with this amazing light who and whoever designed that is a freaking genius and well basically it's pretty smooth and really everything that came in the kit it was amazing it left me feeling pretty fresh and comfortable i mean i work a pretty hard job and uh let's just say the products really helped me stay comfortable down there by far my favorite part the boxers probably the best pair of boxers i've ever worn so go help yourself and help the show use the promo code utopia and you get 20 percent off plus free shipping that's promo code all caps u-t-o-p-i-a for 20 percent off your purchase plus free shipping Preston was in his mid-twenties with sand-colored hair that curled tightly up against his scalp. His unshaven jaw was well-chiseled, and it held a lit cigarette that dangled from his lips. Yeah, my scout team was one of the best, he bragged. We were the ones who found the Bolsheviks' largest cavalry headquarters unguarded and captured their officers. If we hadn't done that, you boys would have had a great deal more trouble in the Battle of Leningrad. Our small group rode two by two along the roadway. We passed the time chiding one another and talking about the war. Preston tended to dominate the conversation with tales of his larger-than-life exploits, but Rodriguez gave him a run for his money. Rodriguez rolled his eyes. Psh, we could have handled their cavalry just fine. Most of their units by the end of the war were just shells of what they used to be, he remarked dismissively. They were Bolshevik cavaliers, heavily armed horsemen with armor that virtually bulletproof not to mention their infamous training and skills a platoon of them are capable of cutting down a battalion of our infantry with ease the only way to take them out is with a few companies of steam tanks as i recall our fourth armored division was stuck in the snow and you guys would have been toast he reached down and patted his horse we'd enter a small corpse of trees wherein sat a small cottage with two horses tethered to a post nearby Preston lifted his leg over the pommel of his saddle and slid down. His boots hit the ground with a muffled thump. This is as far as we ride. The cottage, cast in the blue light of the moon, looked abandoned. Two horses were tied up outside of the door of the frame that I recognized as the ones Douglas and Finn had left on. Are Douglas and Finnegan inside? Finnegan asked in a half-hushed whisper. No, they're at the surgeon's house. We all have a hell of a time getting in there without being harassed. Luckily for you guys, we found a better way to get in. That's why it took us so long to get back. Preston flicked the end of his cigarette and stuck it back into his lips, the tip flaring hot orange as he took another drag. Rodriguez hopped off his mount. So what's the plan? Citywide curfew ends at 6 a.m. Lincoln was the next to dismount. At 4.30, we head in through the sewers. Preston grimaced as he puffed out another gust of smoke. That's the alternative route I found. Practically no one there. Well, except for some homeless folk. They'll leave you alone if you leave them alone. There is a manhole access just a few blocks away from the surgeon's house, Lincoln added. From there, we just need to pop in and meet them there. And we'll take them back the way we came. Lincoln made it sound simple enough. I like it. But do we have another option to get in and out just in case that doesn't work? I picked up a small stick from the ground and turned it in my hands. Lincoln scratched his chin. Mm, that's a good question. I handed the stick to Preston. Maybe you can sketch out a rough map in the dirt here. 
for the rest of us. So we can be familiarized with the path we will take through the sewers? Why? I'll just guide you through, Preston asked defensively. In case we get split up or something, and we have alternative routes to know of. I shrugged. Mm, good point, he concluded. That reminds me of the operations from the good old days. He began drawing in the dirt like an excited two-year-old. I hate to see what the bad days are if operations were good old days, Rodriguez said through his teeth. Preston tossed the stick to the ground and straightened up. In the moonlight, the dirt lines were still visible as darker streaks. Here's the path. I can't say it's 100% accurate, but it's pretty damn close. If you get lost in there, just look for a ladder and you'll pop up on the road somewhere. Good. Now this will be our primary rally point. I used my toe to indicate the spot. If we get separated, come here. Our secondary plan will be Ruckersville. Who all has a watch? I've got an old pocket watch. Lincoln pulled a tarnished silver watch from his pants pocket. Preston and Finnegan pulled up their sleeves to reveal wrist watches. Rodriguez produced his own worn pocket watch as well, after digging deep into his own pockets. Was that Miller's silver pocket watch? My tone betrayed some annoyance. Rodriguez gave me a pineapple eater smile. Yeah, it is. I rolled my eyes. I hope you at least got rid of the engraving. I had to replace it with the back of a cheap pocket watch I had. He turned over the watch to reveal a tin backing. It's a shame, really. Such a beautiful piece. Maybe one day I'll have it fixed properly. Anyways, let's sync our watches. My time is 4.07. If everyone hasn't been back here by 06.30, leave for Rutgersville. Especially if you have the surgeon and his family with you. Preston abruptly went into the old cottage and then returned carrying four burlap bags. We'll also need these. He tossed one to each of us. Finnegan opened his and recoiled. Ugh, what is this? It smells like rotten old onions. That smell is the stench of self, my friend. These are our disguises. We'll get in and out easier if we walk the streets looking like homeless people. Reeking so badly, no one would want to come within ten feet of us. Besides, everyone already knows there are derelict people living in the sewer system, so we won't stand out when we're hopping out of a manhole. Lincoln pulled up on a pair of dingy old pants that, that had mismatched patches on the knees. Then he shoved a revolver into his waist, tightening the drawstring to keep it snug against his body. He drew the tail of his shirt over them and put his hands on his hips. Also, we have to leave our rifles here, so only revolvers. And make sure they're well hidden. Charlottesville has a strict no-weapons policy. Unless you're the policeman or a utopian, you can't be seen with a gun. Finnegan began to unbutton his nice shirt. How is it the utopians get to have weapons to protect themselves and not normal people? I know, it's bullshit, Preston added. I pulled my shirt that had a strange yellow stain in the front. And I really hope it wasn't what I was thinking it was. Well, is everybody ready? Ready, let's hurry up and get this done. My clothes smell like old cheese. Rodriguez pulled up his shirt with a disgusted look on his face. Follow me. Preston took an old pathway from the cabin into the trees that was enclosed by heavy brush. The undergrowth hid the narrow path from plain sight. Balaam's eyes fluttered open. His head was pounding as if he had a terrible hangover, and his vision was blurry. He moaned like a zombie freshly rising from the grave. That must have been quite the party last night. How much do you remember? A silky smooth female voice inquired. Wait, what? Where am I? Balaam slurred. He was seated, 
slumped into a chair of some sort, and there was a rattling noise and movement. You were in the carriage on the way to Ruckersville to fetch a book, remember? Or did my godfather not inform you? Look me in the eyes. Those last words were spoken with more of a commanding tone than the usual smooth, silky, guyful one. Balaam looked at the direction of the voice, trying hard to steady his vision. A woman, no more than five feet tall, sat before him. She wore a silk green dress with a gold locket that sat neatly upon her chest. Her skin was pale and smooth matted like unglazed porcelain. Her lips were ruby red, and so were her eyes, both beautiful and filled with ire. She glared daggers into Balaam's. Abigail? Who is she? Hmm. She was very pretty, the woman asked. Balaam's head spun, and it felt as if fingers were poking through and prodding his brain. Her eyes seemed to glow, and they bored down upon him. And as much as Balaam knew he should break eye contact with her, he simply could not. All he knew was that deep inside, he was compelled to let her gaze just consume him. He was not sure if he wanted this or not. The woman gasped and lifted a hand to her mouth. A sly smile formed underneath. Well, that is a surprise. And here I thought I was the monster. Images were brought forth into his mind. A shuffling of terrifying things. They shocked him out of his trance. What was she doing? He thought. Is she in my head? He quickly looked away from her eyes and down to the floor, where he saw a small silver chain lying at his feet. And then he remembered and his stomach lurched. Was it all real? Had he really? He bent forth shakily, reaching a trembling hand down to pick up the chain. He lifted it and drew it over his head, and then looked back at the woman. Her eyes were no longer red, but a greenish hazel. She brushed a strand of black hair out of her face and graced him with a delicate, alluring smile. I like you. You are a lot like me. Well, except for the blood drinking and powers, of course, she added with an iconic smirk. You, you must be siren. Balaam tried his best to sound calm, but his voice still shook. That's my utopian name. You can call me. She brought her finger to her chin as if to emphasize it, and through a broad smile, she finished. Abigail. This has been A Better Utopia, an audiobook podcast written and produced by Counter Culture Rebellion, read by the author. Story edited by Fifi's Cottage, formatting and design. Tune in September 12th to find out what happens next. If you'd be so kind, leave us a five star review, like, share, and follow our podcast. Also, check out our Facebook page. A Better Utopia.